If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. If you could live your idealized life, would you? What if it was all fake? Today on War Party, we're discussing SIGCOR. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. And I'm Bavia. And today we're talking about one of mine and Bavia's all-time favorite classics, mm-hmm. uh, To the Moon. And also, to a degree, it's sequel, Finding Paradise. Yeah, both of those games are incredibly phenomenal. I remember when Caleb first came to me and said, hey... I want to do an episode on To the Moon. Would you do it with me? And I said, immediately, absolutely, let's play through it right now. And now I've played through it twice. And every single time, I've always noticed something new. And I got the opportunity to play Finding Paradise for the first time. And oh, man, if you haven't played this game yet, do yourself a favor. Go ahead and buy it. It's incredible and heartwarming and gut-wrenching in all the best ways. Finding Paradise, yeah, it's like absolutely like brilliant game with a really well-paced plot. And before we get into it, consider this your spoiler warning for To the Moon, Finding Paradise, and all the intermittent episodes, the minisodes in between that entire series by Freebird Games. So To the Moon is about a couple scientists that work for a company called the Sigmund Corporation, and the broad premise of this company is that you can sign up with them and then when you're on your deathbed um the scientists will come in and alter your memories so that you fulfilled whatever dying wish you wanted to have fulfilled with them in the case of the first game they went into the head of a man named johnny whose uh dying wish was that he had visited the moon So they go looking through his memories, trying to find not only the life circumstances like his relationship with his wife that led to him wanting that to begin with, but also look for ways that they can connect his dreams to a way that they could have been implemented and look for fundamental changes they could have made that would have resulted in him having done that. And Finding Paradise is basically that same concept but carried over to another man named Colin who in fact lived a really full life he became a pilot he had a family and well his wish was something that i definitely wasn't expecting but we can get but we can get into that later what i really want to talk about is the different reactions to what sigcor does the main caretaker of johnny in the first game was really thankful that the scientists were there for they were helping a man on his deathbed grieve reconnect to his wife and 
well, fulfill his dream of going to the moon. And over in Finding Paradise, the uh, the wife of Colin, the uh, dying man in that game, was truthfully very against Sigcor. She would constantly say throughout the entire game and in his memories, why would you want to erase these things that have made you who you are and give all of that up for something fake and obviously fabricated? And, well, it turns out she wasn't the only one that thought that way. In fact, over in the minisodes in between Finding Paradise and To the Moon, well, a lot of people weren't happy. We're definitely, and you definitely see a lot of that in both games and their minisodes, is there's an entire crowd of protesters throwing tomatoes at the windows of a Saint Core. I feel like the the premise of the games does carry with it an awareness of the weight of what it's asking its characters and its audience to accept. The fact that this memory traversal idea that you're essentially rewriting your memories on your deathbed so that you can have fulfilled whatever you want is in and of itself a very controversial idea. Anyone who's heard the premise of To the Moon, if you first heard of it at the beginning of this episode, you immediately had an opinion on that. You either thought, wow, that's amazing, that's something I definitely want to do in a game I want to play, or you scratched your head, like, why would anyone want to do that? That's against the entire point of memories. And that controversy, that discussion, and that divide is, I feel like, portrayed somewhat realistically in games where... This isn't a magic technology that everyone's accepted. This is something that the scientists are fully aware that they're walking on eggshells in every situation they walk into. I think it also brings into account a lot of ethical dilemmas that the scientists have to deal with, particularly about the people who they're traversing through. They have to make sure to keep their beliefs intact and keep their central values intact and changing sort of as little as possible and really letting the patient maintain as much autonomy as they can throughout this entire process and sort of to play a play a little bit of role maker here suppose they went through a person who had abhorrent beliefs And say that they were hired by this person to make his dying wish of doing something terrible come true. And they would still have to be held to that contract, even though they might have had the option to turn whoever had that person with abhorrent beliefs into someone who might not have had that. And they're not allowed to impose their own version of what's satisfying or what's meaningful to them onto this other person. And you really do have this line that you need to draw between how much of it do you want to fabricate and how much of it do you want to stay true to the person you're traversing. That moral dilemma actually comes very directly into the light as the plot of To the Moon goes on. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, what it really does come down to, like, with all of these moral dilemmas and stuff like that, is it really comes down to the nature of the value that we place on reality. Hmm. I feel like it's a bit of an oversimplification to call it as simple as fantasy versus reality. It definitely is. Because we aren't really talking about changing your memories while you're alive. It's never made clear whether or not the machine into the moon is capable of doing that or not. 
But it's still a tough evaluation to make when it comes to fantasy versus reality. In the one-year anniversary of Finding Paradise, the author, in fact, talks about sort of the development of that game. And one of the comments is that into the moon, you're helping a dying man get to the moon, something he's never done before. You're sort of deriving this fantasy out of reality. And over on the other side of Finding Paradise, you have a, well, a dying man who's looking to come to terms with his life. And really, he had these ideas of grandeur and all the things he wanted to do when you just help him accept that what he had and his life as fulfilling as it was was his and his alone and in that way you're sort of deriving reality from fantasy and in that way it makes those two games these beautiful sort of puzzle pieces that fit together on how the same exact sort of memory traversal procedure could be interpreted and valued in different ways and yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that, that it's not really quite as simple as even the protesters make it out to be, where it's, uh, oh, you're just, you know, like, you know, creating a fantasy. But, like, there is there is a lot to discuss and unpack as far as, like, the nature of that controversy. But I think the really interesting aspect of it, though, is brought to life in Finding Paradise. And massive spoiler warning, if you haven't, if you've played To the Moon but haven't played Finding Paradise, stop the episode right now, play Finding Paradise first. It's amazing. It's got one of the best plot twists I've ever seen. And that plot twist is the um, introduction of a character named Faye. Faye is treated for most of the first act as a childhood friend of Colin, but it's eventually revealed that she was in fact an imaginary friend and a, a mental construct of his conscious or subconscious mind that he would write about and th that inspired him to go on to do many of the things that he actually did that led to his aspects of his satisfaction later in life. In a lot of ways, Faye did to Colin early in his life what Sigcor attempted to do later in his life, and this leads to a lot of conflict uh, later in the game. But that's even one thing that uh, one of the scientists, Neil, um, specifically points out about Faye, is he does point to her and he says, like, she's doing exactly what we do. She's the same as us. And I think as much as that says a lot about Faye as a character, that also says a lot about Sigmund as a corporation. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do want to sort of unpack that statement a little bit more about how is Faye doing to Colin what Sigcor is now sort of attempting to do and this idea of this guide that always sort of in the back of his mind is always pushing Colin toward the things that he wants to do and always being there as almost like a therapist in many ways, allowing him to really understand the world, especially coming from a childhood where he didn't have parents in the home a lot of the time. He didn't have friends back at school a lot of the time. And having Faye or this imaginary friend he talked to as a coping mechanism, as that same mechanism, allowing him to push forward is very similar to Sigcor actually trying to plant these little seeds that guide Colin to his eventual dream and his wish of just being happy. And those are his words. I just want to have my life feel significant and fulfilling in some way. 
implies that no matter what Faye and Sigcore would end up doing, that eventual satisfaction would have to come from him. And in fact, sort of becomes the quest of both Faye and Sigcore to both make Colin satisfied with his life. That makes her such an interesting, I don't even want to say the word antagonist here. I mean, you can have heroic antagonists. Like, you can have complicated antagonists. And she does directly oppose Neil for a significant portion of the game's Mm -hmm. story. And I think, like, it's like you said, where the whole idea of what Sigcor does is they connect the dots. They try to take your adult priorities to your childhood life so that you've lived your entire life with the things that are important to you now as being your primary values. And I think Faye was, in a way, a lot of that, where it was his way of expressing his values in a way that he could explore and understand. It was through Faye that he discovered his desire to fly. That's not to say that Colin's depiction of Faye was a symptom of schizophrenia or anything like that. Because as soon as that twist happened, that, oh, Faye doesn't really exist, then why is she personified in his memories in this girl? It was more indicative of him accepting the fact and him convincing himself that Faye was a real confidant and those memories and those pressures that Faye suggested to him, like, hey, you should go fly. Hey, you should ask for that job. Hey, you should draw on that whiteboard. All of those memories and wants and desires are very real. It also brings to attention what Sigcor identified as his quote-unquote regrets versus what his regrets truly were. And it wasn't any of those things per se. Of course, life happens. But it was more about him wanting to reconcile with his younger self, which he never really gave a chance to grow in the way that I think he wanted to. And it's a lot of that, too. Like, it's a little bit about him wanting to reconcile with his younger self, but it's also a lot about, like, his learning to accept that the choices he made, even the ones he didn't necessarily love at the time, even the ones he doesn't necessarily love in his old age, led to where he is now. And I think... Even And even he knew that going into the thing, where he said, like, I don't know what the missing piece is, but I know I don't want to take away any of the pieces that are already there. And so I think that just uh, speaks volumes to, like, uh, what Faye as a concept to him is. Faye is this sense of self-motivation and awareness of uh, drawing a reality from fantasy is what Faye is. And I think that that's a really, really good way to have worded it. And I think that also explains a lot of um, Neil expresses a lot of interest in Faye. And I think like that draws a lot on it. A decision that I really did admire about Dr. Neil Watts is allowing a sentient part of Colin's subconscious, you know, which is Faye. That's what she is. She is a derivative of Colin's subconscious as this imaginary friend slash conscience to take control of Colin's memories. Colin's story is quote unquote solved by allowing Faye complete control of Colin's memories. And in doing so, allows Faye to meet Colin again, just like when they were kids. It's implied that he was able to tell her a lot about his life and have her finally hear that 
hey, it wasn't me who did this for you. It was, in fact, you who did this for you. And then he would receive peace and really understand that I really did live a life worth living. And given the same situation, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I do have to ask, though, giving complete control of someone's memories to a part of themselves that they themselves considered rogue or oppressed. I don't think I could have made that same decision had I been in Dr. Watts's shoes. And what does that really mean about what SIGCOR is? And why do you think they made that decision? And I think that this ties a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier, where uh, SIGCOR's ethical obligation to follow their contract rather than impose their own values. I think uh, Colin was in a bit of a unique situation just a little bit yeah as far as the execution of his contract went so i don't necessarily think giving control to Faye was a breach of that contract but like it it definitely does uh speak to the kind of emotionally complicated decisions they have to make let's look at let's look at the flip side of the coin though if Sigler existed would you sign up for it <sighs> oh gosh um i think i would i think i 100 would i see this question posed a lot of the time on, oh, if if you were to go back to your first grade self with all of your memories intact, would you do it? And my answer is always like unequivocally yes, because I feel like one, I'd be the smartest kid in the entire world. No one could beat me except probably like some crazy savant. Um, but also because I just think I do things a lot differently. And just see where they lead me. I feel like human curiosity in that way is so is so like implicit in all the behaviors that we do that if given the opportunity, I can always do the same thing as a failsafe, but I can never do something different here in the present. And for that reason, I'd have to say yes. And even though I don't have any glaring regrets, knock on wood. We're both in our mid-20s. There's still time. I mean, given the opportunity to get a first-hand experience of what it's like to be an astronaut or a billionaire or the president and just having that additional experience to add to my repertoire, I think I'd want to experience it. And after all, memories don't mean anything anymore to a dead man. I think I understand aspects of both of it. Um, I personally, like... I'm not on the Sigcor is evil train that the protesters would. I, I wouldn't be throwing tomatoes at their windows. But that having been said, and again, like, I, I do repeat that, like, I'm not even 30 yet. There There's still time for, like, most of my perspective of looking back on my life to change. But where I am now, I feel a lot more uh, like Colin in this metaphor, where I feel a lot more of uh, even the parts of my life that I don't necessarily... Love are still parts that led to the parts that I do love. And it's one of those things that uh, I do feel a lot more like Colin than Johnny in this metaphor. I feel like when it comes to the idea of legacy, right? Well, I guess in my mind, people will always be remembered for what they did and the memories they left on other people. But that doesn't mean that although the memories that they had of their own life only belong to them at that point in time. I think that they should reserve the right to overwrite it and experience something new if they wanted to. And I think that's also implicit in the SIGCOR sort of MO that will make your deepest wishes come true. And Colin, who said, I want to just be happy, but please change as little of it as possible, 
it shows that Sigcor is able to make those changes and really work with any with any request that the patient gives them because at the end of the day it's all really in the patient mind and that's going to be wiped anyway and that's definitely an like interesting aspect of I'd it i 100% say yes like it like there is there's no doubt in my mind that if such a service existed i wouldn't sign up for it but how do we know if we haven't like real talk for a second suppose this sort of company or something similar to it already exists how do we know we're not living our best life Well, that about wraps it up. Be sure to catch Lore Party on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your listening material. Be sure to check out loreparty.com for our archive of previous episodes and follow us on Instagram at Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.